Hello and welcome to this episode of the LSU Professional Sales Institute podcast. My name is Greg Accardo and I'm your host. I'm the director of the LSU Professional Sales Institute coming to you from the E.J. Orso College of Business on the campus of LSU. We want to thank our corporate partners who make all of our work here possible. They are United Rentals, BXS Insurance, the risk and insurance professionals for your team, Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory firm, CMA Technology Solutions, Orso Insurance and Financial Services, and Paycom. So our guests today are going to be Craig Fitzpatrick and Zachary Hill from Click Here Digital. So uh, Craig and Zach from Click Here Digital, thank you both so much for taking part in their, our podcast here at the LSU Professional Sales Institute. Um, I'd like to get started today by, first of all, getting a little bit of information about the both of you for the listeners. And uh, so could you both tell us about your backgrounds and, and how that experience led you to Click Here Digital? Absolutely, Greg. And I, I appreciate you inviting us on here. Um, I'm excited to get started. So really kind of my background, uh, my name is Zachary Hill. I graduated from LSU in 2016 in ISDS, um, kind of started my career as a project manager for a web design firm before finding out, you know, it really wasn't my passion and what I wanted to do, you know, came across click here three years ago on a random job site uh, and it really fell in love ever since um, started as account manager to digital consultant, um, worked my way up, you know, and now I'm running director of account services for, you know, our, 15-man team. Zach's being modest. Um, and so, Greg, he's uh, he's the fastest riser that we've ever had at Click Here Digital. And in just four short years, um, you know, he's one of the critical people running our business, not only here inside of our headquarters, but he also runs field service operations for account management in 20 different states. And so, uh, for somebody that quickly out of school to be in the position that he's in, uh, he's certainly done a lot of things right. And the thing that stands out the most about Zach is that he's very, very good on his feet in front of a client, which speaks to a lot of the selling skills that, uh, that, that you try and develop in some of your students, Greg. But the mm -hmm. funny thing is, he wasn't a sales or a marketing major. He was a, a data science major, I, ISDS decision sciences, right? So he's kind of that rare, perfect hybrid of somebody that comes out of undergrad and then has both the analytical side and the, and the people facing side to be able to, uh, to manage all that effectively. So a little bit about myself. My name's Craig Fitzpatrick. I'm originally from uh, a small farm in Pennsylvania, and I don't know how I've lived in so many different places, but... I uh, graduated from the Air Force Academy, spent some time in the military, and then uh, since the military have spent the last 17 years in tech with equal amounts of time in big businesses like Lockheed Martin and Deloitte and Booz Allen and the small business space, which is what I'm in now. So I was working in the federal sector doing technology development for a number of different agencies when I got connected with Bo White, the CEO of Click Here Digital, and we brainstormed about growth challenges that Click Here was facing. A lot of that has to do with business development and sales, but a lot of it's also just scaling a business. And we had a real mind meld about problems that the business uh, was potentially going to face in the next couple of years and where Bo thought the business was with the plan to meet those challenges. And it was almost like we arrived at the same point at the same time that 
we had both seen this movie before and we knew how we wanted it to end. So I came here about six months ago. I'm our chief operating officer and chief technology officer, which means I spend about equal amounts of time between client delivery and building out our tech stack. So even though you're both are, are not you know new to click here digital but you're you're probably not new to this space of of digital marketing correct right so uh, if you go back and look in, in the time that you've guys both of you have been involved in in the industry uh what's changed the most about the business in that time period i mean well really you know the people are the same it's more of their understanding of the digital products and digital offerings and really the internet era as a whole um, you know, when I first started, it was a lot of, you know, training customers what digital marketing really is, showing them the value of our different products to now it seems that they've either had experience with other providers or had previous digital knowledge, which helps, you know, kickstart that conversation a little bit sooner and help them have a more higher level conversation, um, which I've found has made a drastic shift in the past four or five years. Okay. So what's been the biggest surprise when it comes to the, the area of sales that, that you found? Um, with me, you know, I'm not experienced. I don't have a lot of experience with sales, but I found that it was a necessary uh, skill set to have just being in my position. Uh, and with just me, it was finding a lot of commonalities within specific industry verticals. So what I mean by this is, you know, car dealers and, you know, general managers who run car dealerships, they have very similar personalities and you find with, one situation or one tactic works with one, you know, you find it works with a, a lot of different uh, customers, regardless of location, you know, across the country, they seem to have a very succinct mindset. Um, so that was the biggest surprise for me. I, I, I think Go another ahead. thing I would add to that, Greg, is that you talk about the sales that our organization does. You're talking about doing business with the general manager of a car dealership or an attorney that owns a, a, a successful personal injury practice. And those people have changed some, they've gotten a little more digital savvy, but the other big change, and Zach and I were talking about this right before the podcast, is the way their customers act. Five years ago, you saw selling something to someone digitally as a, yeah, maybe, maybe I might buy this all online, but let me see it first before I buy it. Let me touch it, let me feel it. The willingness of customers to do more of their buying online and spend more of that decision cycle digitally before they get a look at or, or are, uh, are, are directly in front of something that they might buy is, has been a huge change for us. And that's going to be one of the things that I think is going to drive the next few years as well. So, you know, Craig, you and I have had this conversation before about the sort of the focus in sales is not only knowing your customer, but knowing your customer's customer. Mm -hmm. So your business is, you have a majority of your customers are car dealers who are trying to reach their market, which a majority of it's online, correct? Um, well, the majority of the sales that our customers have is, uh, has some level of engagement online, but you're talking about attribution of a sale to, an internet channel versus somebody walking into a dealership. I'm going to let Zach go into some more detail on that. But um, I, I, I think I hear your question. Yeah. And the auto industry really hasn't caught up with the whole e-commerce, you know, buy a hundred percent online. So there still is that brick and mortar effect where the customer most of the time has to come into the store and finish that purchase, but they can do near 90% of it now online, which 
really wasn't the case two, three years ago. And, um, and that's the area where you guys specialize in. Correct. We do a lot of consulting on best practices within the industry. Um, and it comes from a lot of our case studies, us testing our own clients' products or, you know, having um, feedback from, you know, maybe a group's tried it where it was successful and some tried it where it wasn't. Uh, we bring this knowledge back to our clients and have them make a better informed decision on is this product worth it or not. Yeah, that's uh, pretty exciting stuff because it, it, it's, it's ramping up really fast also. Oh, I, I can imagine in the next five years, people are going to be buying their cars completely online. Well, there, that, that, there are a lot of people doing that right now, right? And, and some yeah. of our clients are more savvy than others when it comes to fully converting the sale online. But think about the three things that people do when they make a major purchase decision that have almost always happened in person or you, you're physically that sometimes can't right now because of just where the world is visiting a car dealership, test driving a car, and then filling out that paperwork to go ahead and make the purchase, right? Those three things can all happen without somebody ever setting foot in a dealership. Now, they were able to happen without somebody setting foot in a dealership a year ago. It's just that our clients weren't pushing it that hard because most people's minds weren't there yet. They're there now. A lot of the customer base that we're seeing that our clients are dealing in is there now. And that service offering, even though it existed a year ago, two years ago, is really prevalent in a way that it's never been before. Yep. So that's, you know, this whole area of digital disruption to me is pretty amazing. And, and from, from an academic standpoint, we're always looking at where do you have these, these connections or, dis, or clashes? And, and there's no better area to study than digital disruption in sales, right? So in, in when you look at your industry and in, in, in your market, so how does this, this whole digital disruption phenomenon and trying to hit sales goals, how does that affect your company when you're trying to meet your, meet your goals and also meet the needs of your customers? I know that was pretty general. So yeah, yeah. no, I, let me let me turn your question into a specific, Greg. I think that you're asking about what technology features are nice to have, and what do you absolutely have to have when it comes to delivering tech to a customer. And let me give you an example: natural language processing. It's a nice to have right now. We're able to listen to calls that come into a business development center for a client and do general analysis of was this a quality call? Was the intake well managed? Did we get close to a sale on it? Is it a quality lead? When we hand over the contact information of the person that made this call, is the salesperson likely to be able to convert it? We're now beginning to be able to use pattern recognition and study some of what happens within that call without a human having to listen to it. That's typically called a call audit and or a mystery shop if we do the call ourselves. We're using a lot more automation to be able to get more information faster and in aggregate studying big patterns of data to give to our clients about what their sales teams can do, not only on an individual call, but better across their portfolio to manage those leads that are coming in. That's a nice to have right now because not everybody does it and we call it a value added service it's going to be necessary in two years or, or sooner or sooner um 
I think really the first mover in our market is often us just because of the relationship that we have with a lot of these platform providers, Google, Facebook, we run a lot of pilot tests. Um, we're actually building our own NLP pilot. Uh, I, I don't know if we'll be first to some of the customers that we have in our portfolio or whether somebody else out there is already pitching it, but somebody is going to move the market on that. And what's really, I think, going to move it is when you see attribution of better data coming from those calls into driving a higher conversion rate for sales. Um, I, I think that that's going to be a customer by customer journey for who actually wants to use that information to train their sales staff, as well as assign quality to a lead when it comes into a business development center. But I think that that's not a six or seven year customer adoption cycle for a, for a technology like NLP. I, I think you're really talking about two years at that. Well, if you, if you integrate into this conversation into that space, the, the emerging technology of AI bots, what's going to be the net effect of that? Um, well, I think that you're, when you ask that question, Greg, you're probably asking about a chat feature on a website. It's something that most people are familiar with. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've heard of the Turing test most of us has, which means if I'm talking to a bot, at what point can I tell it's a bot versus a human? And we work with some of the chat providers out there like Gubagoo on integrating them onto a website and then using that chat feature to drive more of the sales um, that one of our clients has. And some of those chat features that we license with are getting much, much better at having more of that chat occur before a human has to engage. So what does that mean? It means that you can do more chats with less people, right? With less labor hours, mm -hmm. ultimately, without sacrificing quality. I don't think that that's ever going to get there where you can have a bot complete an entire chat virtually. I do think you're going to be able to spend longer within the initial interaction with a bot screening out a few questions that a human might normally ask that's sitting in a business development center. Did that answer your question? It pretty much. And, you know, it's really amazing where you see some of this technology and in, in how it's evolving. And what we look at and what we study is, is, is how much of the sales space is AI going, going to occupy? And, and, and that space has started out small with just bots that engage people come to a website so that you nurture that relationship so that then a live person can then take over, right? Well, yeah. let, me, let me tease Zach up for this one, Greg, because I think that one of the things that's really interesting about the way that we manage accounts and the way that we service our clients is that we are never going to completely replace that one-to-one -one interaction that our account management team does with some of the things that our competitors are doing. That's what it means to be a high-touch, real consultative agency. And Zach is one of the best in the business at that. So let me, I'd, I'd love to hear your answer to that, Zach. Why will we never replace a lot of the client service things that we do with artificial intelligence? I mean, it, it goes to really showing, you know, and clients just want to feel special and feel valued. They want to know that they have a person that's working with them to, and they have a unique strategy that's market specific, that they're getting what they paid for, and then they feel value within Clickier. And frankly, you're just not going to get that with a lot of automation. Now, is it getting smarter? 
it's getting smarter every day. And I, I do see, and we do a lot of testing with different AI integrations to see, is this effective to switch our best practice strategies? But for right now, Greg, it's not, you know, our clients still okay. want to be talked to on a phone a communication basis. You know, it's showing them that, Hey, look, we are here for you on nights and weekends if need be. Um, you know, I, I thought the chat was a very interesting topic. You know, I have an issue that happened with one of my clients last week where, you know, customers were getting upset when actual human beings were jumping into, you know, you, you have the ability on some chat providers to yeah. jump in and finish yeah. the chat out because they were taking longer than the bots were to yeah. respond. Mm -hmm. So they found they were getting less engagement and less, you know, completed leads yeah. when a actual human being was jumping in versus just letting AI take the communication. Well, think about why that is though. And Greg, this is important to a lot of the areas that you might want to think about automating. It's about the data, right? Mm -hmm. So if I ask a bot, is this car available? If your data is really good on your inventory, what's on the lot, if it's kept up to date every hour after you make a sale, then the bot's going to be able to tell you, yeah, our inventory data is reliable and yes, it's available. What we've got now is that sometimes a car is getting sold and maybe we don't have that in a CRM system on the client side for another 24 hours after the sale occurs. Neither a bot nor a human is going to know. So a human might have to go look and physically put eyes on that car in order to answer the customer's question. So you're talking about two things. One, do I have enough data to automate something? But then secondly, where is it favorable to have a bot or an automated process answer something for a customer versus where does a human really need to step in? Sounds like a great area for a research project. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you know, speaking of bots though, I'm in, in this kind of leads into my next question. So, so how are these emerging technologies and these disruption change customer expectations for you guys? I mean, for me, it's just, they want things quicker. It's speed the market. You know, I, I tell this a lot to my team, you know, a lot of our clients look in 30 day sales objectives, you know, three days and it's 10% of them all. So if we don't get those offers or, you know, get, you know, to the customer or get their push out or whatever they want to change fast as possible, we're going to be missing out on parts of the month where it's critical with sales. And we found that, you know, speed the market is something clients value a ton and it's providing the right insights. So, you know, it's not always being a yes man, but more of, Hey, look, I don't agree that we should do this strategy and here's why. Uh, and that's a big, big part of our job as well is steering our customers to say, you know, what is the right strategy versus the strategy that maybe your friend or, you know, your, your family member recommended to you. Do, do you find yourself having to solicit the feedback from them on these expectations or do they offer them to you? This is what oh, we expect. Some of them, like some clients that are very active, tell you what they expect. Um, a lot of it is me. What is important to you? You know, I always say whenever we start with a new client or a customer, I say, well, why did you fire your last guys? Because I want to make sure that we avoid whatever your pain points were with your previous provider. So that's a big, big ask on any of our onboarding calls. Sure. So, you know, you guys that click here digital, just it's kind of an exciting time for your company. So you just you just moved. OK, you expanded. You've got a bigger footprint now here in Baton Rouge, uh, bigger office, look like a little bit larger team. So talk about that growth and where do you see the company in say the next five years? 
Well, um, I think that you know, Greg, as a guy that's very plugged into uh, a lot of different business communities, that there's no such thing as a five-year plan anymore. Um, I, I like to read a lot of business books. And one of my favorite ones is a book called Clock Speed. And what that talks about is that the speed at which technology arrives to a market forces you to reinvent your business. And I really think on two-year cycles. So I can tell you that we think that in two years, our business will probably have doubled in size. And I don't mean doubled in size purely just by headcount, because that's not an effective way to think anymore. If we spend a lot of this call talking about automation, disruptive new technology, making us able to do our jobs faster and better, then that means that we might be able to do twice as much work without twice the people. So if you want to think about our continued expansion into pushing the envelope of what our dealer customers expect in the automotive space, you ask the question, when, you know, how often do they raise their expectations of us? It's us raising their expectations of us. We, we try and stay out ahead of what we think our clients are going to need. And every six months or so, we're introducing new tech that they need, but we didn't make them ask for. So if you think about four cycles like that, four six-month cycles, two years from now, we've automated even more of their sales process for them. The phone calls that they get into their dealership from customers that they are already targeting, but they'll be targeting maybe maybe they're trading in the car two years from now that they that they bought today, they experience more of that sales cycle online than they ever have before. And I think the other big thing that's here to stay within the automotive industry is the idea of the home as the center of the sales cycle. You're talking about seamless home delivery. You're talking about virtual test drive combined with an in-person test drive. You may even have some virtual reality uh, that, that you can add on to uh, a customer's experience of kind of looking at the features in a car. And we haven't even addressed legal yet. We haven't even addressed other markets that we're beginning to see come ask us for our help, such as the medical space. We've got a number of medical clients that are being disrupted by telemedicine right now. And our ability to find their next 200 patients and then engage them virtually so they can have telemedicine appointments is another exciting thing that we're looking at in the medical space. So it, 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 you, this kind of sounds like your growth is not, it's not reactionary. This is planned and strategic. Very much so. Our, our CEO is very forward thinking vision. Uh, he always says, you know, look six months in advance to see, you know, are we staffed for this growth? And, you know, we try to take that down and plan it ahead so that we know exactly where this ship is going. Um, I, I think the big point is really diversifying our portfolio. Like Greg said, you know, getting in with others in the industry, we're really good at the automotive industry, but who says we can't be the best at legal or dental or, you know, medical or whatever we decide to do. Sure. Great. Uh, good stuff. So my, uh, I like, like my last two questions guys are going to be more student focused okay. uh, for, you know, we have a lot of marketing students here. We have about 700 marketing majors here at LSU. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are starting a brand new digital marketing degree program. 
So I'd like to hear from you two. Uh, you know, know, knowing what you know today, if you if you could both go back in time five years and start over, what would you do different? <laughs> we were talking about that one before we got on the on the pod. Tell, tell, tell I mean, what you I, told me, Zach. <laughs> I mean, I was uh, <laughs> take classes that are more relevant um, to what I want to do. Um, you know, a lot of my years at LSU, I was I was a cheerleader as well while I was there. Um, you know, I I didn't take it as serious as I should have. You know, one thing I would have done differently just for schooling would have I would have taken more classes outside of my major. Um, you know, I only took few marketing classes while I was there and you know I'm disappointed I took more geology classes than marketing classes um, so that would be a change for me uh, as well as really understanding GA you know it seems to be a uni universally adapted product when I mean that Google Analytics um, you know I would say any industry I've worked at you know my past three jobs as well as any vendor I've worked with in the past four years has used it um, I, I would say that's a pretty universally accepted product okay um, Zach didn't. Zach didn't give you the real answer. He said if he could go back five years, he would have bought Bitcoin and exited in December. 20, exited in December twenty seventeen was his real answer. That that doesn't count. Is this then, is all industry? Then we school. wouldn't be here having this conversation. Right? We'd be on Zach's yacht. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the only thing that I would add to that, Greg, and I'll, I'll first of all say. We've been nothing but thrilled with not only the number of interested students that we've had from uh, from LSU's business school approach us for internships and entry level jobs, but also the quality seems to keep going up and up. So I think the one thing that you guys are beginning to do a really good job of is listening to the businesses that you have access to and figuring out where you can augment theoretical knowledge with tools-based learning or kind of practical applicable knowledge. And Zach just mentioned one of the areas really knowing Google Analytics. I know uh, Judith is putting tons and tons of work into building out the digital curriculum. We couldn't be more excited to see what that curriculum looks like as well as what some of the students are able to do when they finish it, but that's two years from now. Something that I would say students can do right now, let's say they're graduating in December, is go talk to five businesses in the local area and find out what they're doing for marketing because you're gonna get five different answers. And that doesn't mean that you can have an internship with all five, but there are lots of small businesses in the Baton Rouge area that are trying to figure out the transition to digital right now. Think about how many brick and mortar facilities are in our area that are, that are dealing with the pain right now of trying to convert to doing more of their business virtually. That's not just here, that's all over the world right now, right? So I'd say, just don't be afraid to call up some businesses in the area and have a conversation about what they're doing or maybe even offer to, offer to help. Um, we're always super impressed when we see a student that has some practical hands-on knowledge in one of the tools that we use, whether it's Facebook Ads Manager, Google Analytics, being, um, there, there's a lot out there that you can do for a, a relatively little amount of effort that'll teach you a good bit about the tools that we use. So, so for our sales and marketing students that are looking at a career in digital sales or SEO or SMO, so is there any other advice that you'd want to provide for them? Yeah, I mean, this is something I, I tell my team, especially new employees coming in is, you know, understand the product well enough to explain your mom or dad. You know, the average business owner in America is 50 years old. 
So if you think I'm trying to explain what SEO means, you know, you're really going to have to oversimplify it um, for to get your point across. And I, it's, it's a pain point, you know, also believing in what you're selling actually works is you find it your inflection, your voice, how you present it, how you really sell the product as a whole. If you don't believe in it, you don't understand it. Um, you're going to have a tough time. Yep. So let me ask you a last question. Is there a, a book that both of you would recommend or either of you that you're currently reading? You, you mean about business, right? Business, <laughs> digital, marketing, sales. I could go all day. So there's, there's two that I really like, Greg. Um, there's a really good book about affiliate marketing called Performance Partnerships. And it gives a good history of some of the pitfalls that our industry went through when we first got exposed to affiliate marketing. And I'm sure you remember the Groupon days. Um, mm -hmm. But the business model that drives a lot of affiliate marketing is transforming all the time. And businesses are always looking at ways to attract new customers without having to put capital directly into that campaign, right? So we work in the paid search area, among other things that we do digitally, but there are, there are lots of different channels that businesses can use to try and attract new customers. And I think that Performance Partnerships is a really neat book that, that goes through um, some of that. Uh, there's, there's another book that I really, really like um, that talks a little bit more generally about uh, the cycle that technology evolves in. And I mentioned it before, but it's called Clock Speed. Um, it actually comes out of MIT's engineering school. And it's a, it's, a, it's a book that just explains that, hey, look, whatever technology you're investing all of your time in trying to learn now, invest enough of your time to learn the theoretical underpinnings of those products, but know that whatever you're learning now is going to change in two years. And we joke about it all the time here. When we make training videos that we might roll out for some of our clients to use for Facebook or Google Analytics or some of the other digital tools that are available, one of the clicks or one of the things that we say about the functionality of the product might be obsolete by the time we publish the video. Yeah. So it's important for people to realize when they want to come and work in, a, in an industry that's as fast paced as ours is, that you always have to be learning what's next when it comes to tools and products, but also the theory behind why these tools work the way that they do. And I think um, Zach gave him a shout out before, but our, our chief executive officer, Bo White is one of the very best experts in our industry at knowing independently of whichever tool that we're using, why a marketing strategy is going to work and then actually informing the people building these tools on how to make customers do what you want them to do when the data stops telling the story. That's a good point. All right. Zach, did you have a book you want to recommend? Um, not anything right now. I mean, I, I've read a lot of like self-management, you know, the best thing I ever did in my career was get more organized. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to think it's called first things first, but I can't remember. I think it's Steven something. I'll look at it. Um, but it helped me really manage my day more effectively yeah. and not really let my email inbox control my calendar. Um, but rather plan ahead. And, you know, I thought I was very effective prior to that. Once I really became organized, you know, my efficiency 
really, really improved. Hey, that's, that's excellent advice. Here's the last one that I'll add. And you, you, you might laugh when I say this, Greg, but, or, or you might say, damn, that's, that's exactly right. But we talk about this book all the time when it comes to both understanding our customers, as well as making sure that we do what our employees need. And it's the five love languages. Um, I think that probably every single person in our company has read it. Um, we know with one another what each employee around here values, whether it's acts of service or words of affirmation or quality time. Um, being able to sell someone something or really communicate with someone and try and persuade them to do something, you really have to start with what is it that they value? What is it that they need? And that book has been really valuable to us in thinking about how to work with our customers if we think that we know whether an act of service might be sending them a, a one-off data product that isn't self-serve out of our portal that we think is particularly relevant to their day-to-day. -day. But if we think that our, one of our clients might be more of a, a words of affirmation person, I mean, I see Zach all the time on his phone texting individual clients that love to hear how well they're doing with their sales month. Um, and, and understanding our customers to that level is something we're never going to be able to automate or study with some sort of a trend analysis, but it really is fundamental to the way that we work with our customers and our employees every day. So that's well, another building, one that yeah, you might not trust. think of, but yeah. Yeah, building trust is so important today, especially as we move to this new virtual format, uh, that trust is, is the big indicator. Yeah, I, I think it's huge just because anybody can launch ads. You know, this is a free product. You can launch it on social. Anybody can be a digital advertiser, but it's the strategy and the value behind it of showing is this effective and building that relationship um, is invaluable. Greg, can we ask you a question before the podcast is done? Absolutely. We're right at the end, so it's a good time to ask. Zach and I brought one, and we'd love to close with this if you don't mind. You know, you've been to see our company a few times, and we, we very much appreciate the relationship that we've got with you and, and with the LSU School of Business. Um, you've seen a lot of our young staff, and you know that we're in an industry that requires that people be young, be tech-savvy. Um, and we also don't have a dedicated sales team. So what's one piece of advice that you would give to somebody that's early in their career, let's say three years or less into their career, about how to be better at selling an idea? So that's, that's a great question. And, and I think it goes back to a lot of my focus that, that we've been kind of zeroed in on here lately is that you know, number one, it's not so much you know your customer, okay? It's, it's important you have to know your customer. If you're going to sell a product, that product, you've got to have a very good understanding of what does it do for your customer, mm -hmm. okay? You can't have a, a, a fanatical opinion of your product because it's yours, okay? That means nothing to your customer. You have to understand what is the benefit that, of what you do that makes your customer better at what they do mm -hmm. today i think i think it takes a little bit further i think the best advice i can have for your younger staff people is not only to know who the customer is but who's the customer's customer mm -hmm. okay because that a lot that that forces you to to turn around the mirror 
and look at your, the world from your customer's eyes. Put yourself in their shoes. Okay, they get up every day and, and they have concerns. They have worries. They have goals they have to attain. They're looking for help. Okay, they need partners in this world they operate in. So how can you figure out what it is about what you do that you can partner with your customer where they look at you not as a vendor, but as a trusted partner? And once you can figure out that secret where you can get inside their world, understand from their view, not yours, then you can really be effective. Then you can, you probably get a better understanding of what your product does for them. Probably some things that you weren't aware of before. Does that make sense? <laughs> It does. I feel like you were also just reading me Zach's performance review <laughs> verbatim because that's, he's, that's, that's one of the things that really makes him so effective at, at what he does is that he really gets inside that decision loop for our customers and he wants to know their customer's customer. But I think for a lot of the other uh, young people that we've got working in our business, that's really sound advice. And I hope that they get the chance to listen to this podcast. And, 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 and I'll add one more thing. The, the, the sales professionals, and, and I'm going to call them professional because I think all salespeople are professionals, but the sales professionals who neglect to make that, that leap by putting themselves in the shoes of the customer, I think they're shortcutting the process. And that's the activities that tend to reflect negatively on salespeople because yeah. it, it, it becomes where the customer looks at their, their sales reps as only thinking about themselves. They, they've got commission breath. They're only worried about making a sale. They're not worried about what I need to do. Okay. You want my money in exchange for your product, but your product needs to be able to effectively make my life better. And when you can tell that story because you understand it from their perspective, then you can really do well. I think it's perfect. Do you mind if we, you mind if we plug our new website before we get off here? Greg? Absolutely. Go right ahead. We're at www.clickheredigital.com. Go check out our new website. Ask for a demo. If you want to see what we do, leave us a review. Um, we, uh, we've, we've got a pretty strong digital presence. And for everybody that's listening to this, uh, this podcast, thank, thanks for giving it a listen and, and let us know if we can answer any further questions for you. Hey guys, uh, do you want to give out your contact information also? Sure. Yeah, uh, my name is Zachary Hill. Uh, my email is zack.hill at clickheredigital.com. Um, and then Craig, I think yours is- Yep, mine and I'm Craig Fitzpatrick and my email address is craig at- clickheredigital.com. And uh, anybody that's a, a listener of yours is, uh, is welcome to reach out with any questions they've got if they want to continue the conversation. Thanks again, Greg, for having us. Hey, guys, appreciate your time. I think this, this is very informative. I learned a little bit from this, which is always great. I like to learn from these. <laughs> so uh, some of this helps me to be better in the classroom. So I really appreciate that. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you again soon. Great. Thanks. Okay. It, thank man. you. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of the LSU Professional Sales Institute podcast. If you or your company would like to find out more about getting involved with our Professional Sales Institute, or maybe even recruiting some of our very talented Professional Sales Institute students, you can find us at lsu.edu forward slash business forward slash PSI.